Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, January 11th. Today is National Milk Day. National Step in a Puddle and Splash Day. National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. National Arkansas Day. Heritage Treasures Day. And, of course, a happy birthday to the Grand Canyon. Thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms, especially right here on YouTube. We're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us via Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a comment on the story most recently presented. But without further ado, we're going to pay a quick bill, and we're going to get right back to the news. At True Classic OG, we live by one motto. Stay true. We stay true to our legacy cut of True OG that's always fresh, piney, gassy, and delicious. We represent the spirit and hustle and diversity of our great city of angels, and we stay true to the spirit of this plant, doing everything in-house to ensure that you get the highest quality and consistency with every batch. And that's what made us LA's favorite OG. True Classic OG. Stay true, Los Angeles. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm going to go into my story first, you guys, um, because uh, it's, it's a quick little quick little tale about some major confusion going on that I know Gretchen is going to have something to talk about. Because the, the executive order for palm cards guiding law enforcement in Kentucky medical marijuana is very, very vague, and the cops are really confused. Days after Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir's executive order granting preemptive pardons for medical marijuana obtained out of the state went into place on January 1st, but there's confusion about how the order functionality operates and continues raising fears that Kentuckians' legitimacy seeking medical cannabis could still face criminal consequences. See, Gretchen? One element potentially contributing to that confusion are the palm cards. Bashir said would be distributed to law enforcement officers across the state to provide guidance on the executive order and what to do if they encountered someone with medical marijuana in their possession. Through open records requests, LEO Weekly obtained copies of the palm card earlier this week. The palm card tells law enforcement that the person needs a document from a physician diagnosing them with one of 21 medical conditions, but does not describe what that document should look like. The lingering vagueness of the executive order and the palm card heightens concerns that people seeking cannabis out of state could still run into trouble. In a quote, to me, everything going is going to, f to fall in the hands of the police officer. What they feel like doing that day, said C.J. Carter, state director for Minorities for Medical Marijuana. It's totally up to them to bring, to bring that they aren't too many guidelines that they are aware of that they have to follow, they said. The executive order isn't going to make it convenient for anyone on the medical marijuana front. What what will ensure it is that the fact that not a criminal that that there is not going to be any criminals, they're saying, said Bashir on December 29th, ahead of the order trafficking effect. The palm card acts as a checklist for officers listing things a person they stopped will need to be in compliance with the executive order, including document from a physician. 
In addition to the unclear language about documents, the POM card also does not mention what happens if a caregiver procures cannabis for a patient by themselves and is stopped despite the text of the executive order extending pardon protections to caregivers. Instead, after uh, the, the words information for caregivers, the card includes a website of the governor's medical cannabis advisory committee, which includes links to press conferences, information about the committee and the executive order, which does not contain information on caregivers. Bashir has previously said that the palm cards would be handed out to law enforcement across the state by January 1st, and the governor's office did not respond to questions sent on Tuesday about the executive order. Uh, LEO Weekly included a question about whether all law enforcement in Kentucky received the palm cards yet. And without any standardized uh, documentation, Carter worries that people will fabricate documents to smuggle marijuana into Kentucky, giving medical marijuana a black eye in the state. Kangu Nijuhara, a policy strategist with the ACLU of Kentucky, worries that without additional guidance or standardization, law enforcement officers might view legitimate documents diagnosing qualifying illnesses as fakies. See what I'm talking about, Gretchen? The executive order provides little more clarity on what kind of documents patients need. It says that the signed and dated certification, the doctor must list their name, address, telephone number, and license number. Uh, along with their diagnosis of the patient, but it does not specify a format for the document to be in. The executive order also does not mandate that the physician prescribe or otherwise recommend marijuana. Unlike states that have legalized only medical marijuana, there is no state-issued card or any other patient registration for Kentuckians seeking cannabis. In a quote, they say, it's just a piece of paper. It can be forged. It can be typed up on its own. It's not an official document. It doesn't come directly from the state, said Carter. That's from the law enforcement, Gretchen. The lack of clarity over the documentation accompanied by a broader misunderstanding is about what the executive order actually does with some people even believing it has legalized. The drug advocates say, and this article keeps on going on and on and on and on. I just I have so many questions. I, I can't wait to hear what you guys all have to say about this. Do you guys think that law enforcement is going to be caught up, so to say, in the weeds on all this? And this is Jason Beck reporting for the high at nine news hour. What do you all think? Well, Jason, I don't know why you are so confused and baffled by the story since we covered it two days ago. I covered this story, the exact same story. Um, it's not the same story. It's from Leo Weekly. They even use this. It's no, the exact it's, it's, this, this story is not from Leo Weekly. Right. They, they, they quoted Leo Weekly. City Beat took it from Leo Weekly. City the point Beat is, jacked them. Nothing him. has changed. The palm cards are what they are. Kentucky sucks. Move along. Next story. Hold on. Hold on. Palm cards. You, you don't. You, I, I, you know, I said this earlier. I'm going to say it to you guys again. You guys, when you hear the word palm cards, you don't think of Miss Chloe. Miss Cleo. Yeah, Miss Cleo. Yeah, Miss Cleo. Rico. Yeah, Rico's with us. Yeah. Good morning, right brother. There. Yeah. Big time tech difficulties this morning. I had to reboot my computer. I figured out what Jason and Gretchen are doing. Is they're just they're just laying the hype for the boxing match. Oh, <laughs> 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 oh yeah. Jason's oh, leaning yeah. into the Logan Paul school of internet dynamics. <laughs> Logan Paul's on some big wants to be in that. Well, I'm just telling you, there's going to be a lot of confusion, and the cops are already confused in Kentucky, so you already know that that's going to spell trouble for a lot of unknowingly Kentuckians, or maybe not even Kentuckians, just people that are forging cannabis recommendations. Just saying. We shall just see. Saying. Rico, what do you have for us today? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! You you, you want to go deeper on that one? You want to go deeper down that rabbit hole? No, We've no, been no. Down We're going to keep rabbit it. hole for the past two weeks, Jason. I, Beck, I, get I, I enjoy I enjoy this rabbit hole. But go go ahead, Rico. Go ahead. We have the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. Yes. yes, checking in. What do you, what do you got for us today, Rico? All right. So my um my headline for today is from Thrillist by Dustin Nelson. So uh, bear with me a little bit, y'all. Had to reboot everything here, but um. Cannabis lounges could be the next big hotel perks. So I'm uh, really interested to hear what uh, the, the El Presidente has to say about this one. Uh, states and municipalities become legalized and decriminalized. Uh, cons- a consistent issue popping up time and time again is where are the consumers going to smoke? 
according to U.S. Consensus, uh, census data, home ownership among young households continues to decline year over year. Uh, since the Great Recession of 2008, while home prices have risen steadily and interest rates have recently spiked due to the Fed attempting to fight back against inflation. So it looks like Americans 40 and under will be in a cycle over leasing for the foreseeable future. And most municipalities empower landlords with the right to evict should you get caught blazing up on their property, medical card or not. The rollout of consumption lounges so far, while pretty exciting to watch, has been a mixed bag. Until recently, the most notable legal consumption lounge model emerging market lawmakers have looked to mimic has been California. But the added hospitality industry friendly flair given to Nevada's recent regulations have hotelier, hoteliers. How do you how do you fucking say that? Hoteliers. Hoteliers. Yeah, hoteliers. Hoteliers. Yeah. Hotelier. everything. And uh, hoteliers, like Denver's Chris Shiari uh, salivating. Shiari was a visionary, a lifelong Flor- uh, Floridian pothead, sold his home and moved to Denver 12 years ago after hearing solid rumors Colorado would soon go legal. Walking aimlessly through uh, around his new ha- hometown, he stumbled upon a historic castle-like building that spoke to his soul. The castle was Denver's historic Uh, Croak Patterson Mansion. Inside the mansion was a nine-bedroom boutique hotel, a bit of a fixer-upper at the time, but Shiari loved his charm and knew in his heart one day it would be his. In the article, he recalled the exact moment. I pointed up to the house and I said, I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. Yeah, that whole backstory sounds like a complete crock of shit, but I will continue. The Patterson was up for sale again in 2018. Well, after Colorado went wreck and he bought it. Fast forward to 2023, the gorgeous bed and breakfast is thriving, a certified four-star hotel and top-ranked trip advisor location. Check out the link um, in, uh, that we have here, and I'm sure that you would agree. The whole bed and breakfast idea, though, has stalled out uh, plenty of times along the way, but he's confident it'll come through this year. In a Forbes article piece, in a Forbes piece released last year, he said that the plan was to convert the Patterson into what his what he and his development firm uh, 420 Hotels calls the nation's first weed consumption lounge inside of a hotel, a social utopia where consumption is normalized. Coming uh, commingling would occur between deep-pocketed connoisseurs and non-consuming travelers regularly. The hotel lounge area capacity is 42 people, way more than the rooms account for. So he sees no, he sees it no different than a popular ritzy hotel bar where guests can consume steps away from their rooms and locals looking for an upscale place to safely light up would be attracted to the gathering place too. Cannabis friendly is starting to emerge coast to coast, he says. Go outside, smoke on a patio. We won't look. We look the other way, right? We let you do this. I'm truly trying to create uh, this other thing called cannabis hospitality. And unless you've achieved a license, you have not achieved cannabis hospitality. In the article, he says his goal is to build a space where people can feel relaxed and safe, where he can continue his goal to contribute to the normalization and destigmatization of cannabis possession and use. But legal and conventional hurdles alike remain in the way of Chris Chiari making his vision a reality. We're creating a smoke-filled room indoors, he says. Whether it's a restaurant or a, tra- a tavern or a bar, it's about employee safety. It's about the ability to work for an eight-hour shift in a healthy and safe environment. He references cigar and hookah bars as examples where guidelines have been established for similar businesses and ventilation requirements and compliance with both state and local regulations, making a slow and difficult process to achieve for any consumption lounge. Sarah Stewart, CEO and co-founder of Ritual Cannabis Hospitality, chimed in on the article to, um, on the state of cannabis hospitality as a whole. A lot of states have come online with not very good regulations. California was not so great. And a lot of people have adopted California regs. However, Nevada's are very interesting and exciting, and they make more sense. And they allow for the hospitality to come through. I'm hoping states look to Nevada to adapt these regs going forward. Chris Chiari's vision goes well beyond Denver, and he hopes to uh, create a chain of hotels, the Patterson just being the first. This is meant to be a model that can expand to major cities like Chicago, New York, Boston, cities that will likely regulate this like uh, cigar lounges, not for smoking on a patio, but for smoking inside in a bar type environment. I see it as an amenity and I see it as the most exciting and unique amenity in hospitality, period. So what do y'all think? Setting Chris Chiari's bullshit fluff storytelling aside, is he on to something here? Will we see 
Will we soon see weed smoking normalized in established luxury hotel lobbies and lounges as opposed to dedicated lounge space openings and the full uh, the full hotel conversions that we've seen popping up lately? Or is this just another Florida boy pipe dream? I'm Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street for High 9 News. Jason Beck, as West Hollywood president of cannabis tourism and our resident expert in this field, what are your thoughts? I mean, first of all, I'm not sure if he's the first because I remember Palm Springs having a hotel that was made into a consumption lounge um, at the start of legalization. So I don't think that he's the first to do this just for starters. However, I am interested. I want to do that. Does it mention anywhere in there if they're going to be selling liquor at this hotel? Um, he says it could be completely different and uh, there's going to be no liquor or alcohol allowed in the smoking section of the lounge. Um, but they are going to offer pairings of food and the same cocktail uh, menu um, uh, will be able to be served in the lounge area, non-alcoholic. Okay, so 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 all right, all right, so, so, so I get no what question. he's saying. So basically what he's saying is that the, the hotel is going to sell alcohol. But in the designated area that's designated, that's permitted as a, as a consumption lounge, there are yeah. no alcoholic beverages. But Correct. you can order the same beverages that you could order off the bar, but just virgins no that will be delivered to you in the consumption lounge. Oh Correct. Okay. I yeah, mean, this is going to work. I have, I, have, I have another question. <laughs> it sounds like it's so, too many moving so, pieces. So basically, he, you also could smoke, because from what you said, he said you could smoke also in your room. Correct? Like you could smoke on your balcony. No, the lounge. No, so not even no, in no. your room. I, th I thought I thought you said that if you that if you smoke in your room, they're just going to be like, "Don't ask, don't tell." He said that's the way people are doing it right now. He said the way that he wants uh, it in his hotel is going to remain the luxury four star hotel the way everything else is. However, the lounge area, like you know, like you go into any hotel, there's a bar area. He said that is going to be dedicated for smokers and non-smokers, and um, he sees uh, non-smokers being able to commingle with. The smokers alike. I mean, I'm dying to jump in here just really quickly. Uh, what oh, experience does he have running a hotel? Like, I think that's let's, yeah, let's look at what he's experience been running it since a, uh, He's been running it since 2018. So and it's, it's still, doing great. He's just going to flip a switch. Star hotel. Yeah. So four he's star. just going to flip a switch. Yeah, and, and he, he said that the hangups have been uh, regulations keep on changing, yeah. and um, he said uh, right <laughs> now he's just been working with the state. Uh, um, because it is an enclosed area, it's not an open area. It's not a patio. It's not like, like a half and half, like where you like open a big uh, garage door or anything like that. It's completely indoor. He said that's mm -hmm. where the hangup has been, but he has received his conditional license. And he's just making sure that he can get it inspected and approved um, to get it uh, up and running uh, this year. He said that the same thing was going to happen last year, and it didn't go through. He said, but he's, all his ducks are in a row now, and he's hoping to get it open within. Uh, but right now, he's still saying that he's a bud and breakfast. But there's no consumption right now anywhere. Like, there's, no, there's, no, there's no permitted. There's no permitted consumption. So they're allowing no people. Spot, but they are allowing people. Okay. They're allowing. Yeah, they have a don't ask, don't tell policy until they get their that's permit. What they, okay, that's what the don't yeah. ask, don't tell is. Okay, gotcha. Yes. gotcha. I don't know. Despite all the naysayers, I think this is a good idea. I knew um, you were going to say that. Well, shut up. So. <laughs> 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 you guys know better, right? <laughs> we, we have seen time and time again, and the data will show people will travel for cannabis. Yeah. I mean, 20% of tourists have said that they chose Colorado as a tourist destination because they legalized cannabis. Um, and I think if you want folks out there just for cannabis, you need to give them a place to consume. Um, and so a hotel makes perfect sense. People are going to come there. You want to offer hospitality. I think this is a good idea. I think it should be done. Absolutely. I think people go places all the time. And if they want to light up, they're going to buy some stuff. And they shouldn't be on a street corner hanging out in the smoker's lounge by the bus stop mm -hmm. trying to do it. Mm -hmm. I Especially think if you make it a welcome opening environment, uh, yeah. I think that's a win-win for everybody. If you look but at the hotel, if you, if you look at the link in in, uh, in the article to the hotel, it's nice as fuck, dude. It's nice as fuck, and it's not that expensive either. Um, well, it's, well, it's not expensive. It's not expensive. One hundred and seventy a night. Yeah, that's pretty for cheap. A boutique, uh, for a four star boutique hotel, that's, that's, it that's is in Denver, so Denver. I don't know Denver prices, but yeah. Den Denver, Denver's expensive. Denver's not cheap to stay in. So mm -hmm. a, uh, so guys, a night's not bad. Do you guys think it's going to just align with bed and breakfasts, or do you think we're going to have mainstream other regular hotels incorporating cannabis? That's my that's my question. Um, so he says uh, that he's trying to create that. Uh, he's already he's trying, yeah, he's trying to show the model. 
Yeah, he's, he's, he's already started like the four-star hotel. He's already established himself in, in that lane. It's a beautiful spot, beautiful hotel. Um, and he wants to create this as a franchise model opening up in Chicago, New York, and Boston as well. And um, I, that's my question. Uh, do you guys see like a big hotel? Uh, if, if this model works, um, let's say the Ritz, uh, you, you can go to the, the, the Viceroy, you can go like, wherever you want. Uh, high-end hotels, you see them opening up smoking lounges like this. I think you're going to need a progressive hotelier to embrace this. Do I think Marriott or Hilton's going to do this next week? Absolutely not. Um, but if legalization comes along, I could see a Branson or somebody. Does Branson own hotels? I'm sure. Yep. Virgin. He, has okay. the, he has the, he has, he has the Virgin, Virgin, uh, Virgin hotel in Las Vegas. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. I could, I could see someone like no that virgins. who is out there and definitely a cannabis advocate putting one of these into their hotels. Absolutely. I don't see why not. But do I, I wonder what the gaming commission is going to say about that? Week? No. Right. You know, you say you say no Marriott, but Marriott owns Starwood now, right? Uh, I could see the W doing something like mm -hmm. this. I could see mm -hmm. the W doing that. I mean, the W has always allowed me to smoke weed at all their properties. I've never had a problem smoking there. I know the W Chicago on the uh, right off the lake had a sex room and you could actually get like plastic <laughs> or like rubberized sheets. <laughs> what? Whoa. Rubberized yeah. sheets, huh? I've actually stayed in that hotel. Did you try the rubberized sheets? Hey, we're, we're all yeah. making yeah. rubberized sheets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was good. That's good. Let's, let's oh. keep it rocking and rolling. Yes. Let me get the intro uh, since, I, since I came in late. You want me get it? You want to get it? Yeah, go ahead, Rico. Let's get it. Get it, girl. Get it. Get it. Up next, we got a spicy redheaded conservative with certified Mayflower roots and long-term Ellis Island paperwork to back it up when she's not fighting with jason beck she's known in dc circles over the years for cooking up bipartisan excellence in the kitchen and slapping down liberals on k street up next the founder of panoptic strategies and hyatt nine's very own washington insider gretchen gailey good afternoon my headline is coming from marijuana moment and the headline is prior state marijuana convictions are giving federal prisoners longer sentences a new report shows Hundreds of people received more serious federal prison sentences in the last fiscal year because of prior marijuana possession convictions in states that have since reformed their cannabis laws, a new report published on Tuesday by the U.S. Sentencing Commission. While federal marijuana possession cases have declined dramatically since 2014, as more states' legalization laws have come online, the report highlights the long-term consequences of cannabis convictions in terms of federal sentencing. It also reveals how many federal defendants faced enhanced sentencing due to state-level marijuana possession offenses even after their state's policy evolves to decriminalize or legalize cannabis. USSC said in October that it was looking into revising its guidelines to change how marijuana possession convictions should affect a person's criminal history calculation in sentencing decisions. Now it's produced data demonstrating why that reform may be necessary. In fiscal year 2021, there were 4,405 federal offenders who received additional points on their criminal history score because of a cannabis possession conviction, accounting for 8% of all federal cases. Among those offenders who got extra points, 1,765 were placed in a higher criminal history category that comes with an enhanced sentence. Almost all of the people who face more serious federal consequences got their marijuana possession record in a state that has since either decriminalized cannabis, legalized possession, allowed medical cannabis, facilitated expungements, or some combination of those policy changes. To advocates, this finding is another example of how the state-federal marijuana disconnect leaves some people more vulnerable to serious penalties even as states increasingly move to adopt reform and federal prosecutions dwindle despite prohibition. What's more, USSC's report reveals that among the 1,765 whose marijuana possession offenses affected their criminal history category, 42% were Black and 40% were Hispanic. Overall, federal cannabis possession cases have dropped considerably in recent years, particularly as more states have elected to legalize marijuana in some form and after the Justice Department released the so-called cold memo in 2013 that generally urged discretion in federal cannabis prosecutions. In fiscal year 2014, there were 2,172 federal marijuana possession cases. That dropped to just 145 in the past fiscal year. 
and 70% of people with possession cases over the past five fiscal years received an average prison sentence of five months. This is consistent with other recent federal data showing a downward trend in marijuana cases, including a recent finding that Customs and Border Protection cannabis seizures fell to a record low in fiscal year 2022, dropping nearly 95% over the past decade. The USSC added a notable detail about the trend in federal possession prosecutions, showing how the overall decline is largely attributed to reduced enforcement in the District of Arizona, which accounted for nearly 80% of all federal marijuana possession sentencings since 2014. As the number of such cases in the District of Arizona declined from a peak of 1,916 in 2014 to just two in fiscal year 2021, the overall federal caseload followed a similar pattern. For federal offenders sentenced for any crime type, however, prior marijuana possession sentences, both federal and state, often affected their criminal history calculations under the guidelines. Uh, you can go on to read more about this. This is a bit more of a lengthy article, uh, but just the disparities that we see when it comes to Hispanic and Black uh, criminals, as they deem them, uh, for their possession, it really needs to be dealt with. I find it interesting that you know, Arizona is the main problem of most of these convictions um, and hope to see that they will take upon themselves uh, a better way for figuring out criminal scores when it comes to possession. And perhaps Biden's uh, pardons uh, for federal cannabis will help them to see the light on what, uh, how people should be looking at cannabis federally. This is Gretchen for High at Nine News. What do you find interesting uh, about Arizona? Why do I find it interesting? They've been like the model for. They've been like the model for throwing motherfuckers under the jail. Mm. Well, I would well, think you know Texas has just a lot as a much larger border. I mm. mean, I, I think there are plenty of other places that would enforce these kind of things, and I just find it surprising that yeah. Arizona is number one by far, eighty percent. That's quite. Well, I, think, I think I think I think what it comes oh. down. What, I think what it comes down to is because of um, the the national parks. I think this is all this this mm. pertains, and that's the same reason why Arizona. Um, uh, 20% of the people that benefited from, from President Biden's pardons were from Arizona, were Arizona cases. And, and that was because of the amount of federal land that is in there in the national parks and whatnot. And apparently a lot of people get caught smoking in Arizona. Hmm. Probably the Grand Canyon, right? Yeah. Yep. It's his birthday, birthday today. Hike, but it, the Grand Canyon is like Disneyland. It's his birthday? It's the it's Grand Canyon's like birthday. Oh, yep. damn. Today. How old? Token up. No. Um, I believe. I believe. Uh, oh man, it was. It was. Uh, son of a bitch. That was the. It was my trivia question this morning too. Like so totally you lost right that now. round of trivia. <laughs> no, I actually. I, I, I actually won. I actually won the round of trivia. Um, uh, Roosevelt. Oh. Roosevelt. Roosevelt did it back in. Uh, I believe in 1908, if I'm if I'm correct on that. Oh, the, the carpet bagging uh, socialist uh, Roosevelt put that oh, through. Oh huh? God, here we yeah. go. A Wyoming cowboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the first first Roosevelt. First Roosevelt. And yeah. the yeah. report are, are popping off about just the fact that you know Arizona has a high population of indigenous people, um, and you know certainly indigenous people have been targeted by the war on drugs, and it's it's like you got to catch them all. Right on these border states, like Pokemon. In these border states, it's very much Pokemon. I mean, you just have to say what it really is. I mean, the borders are open, but and, they're not even um, close to catching them. All. And, and it's like the marijuana, a smell of marijuana. We're in session right now, and so there's a lot of talk about marijuana in my camp, and um, that's what the state calls it. And it's just so it's just sickening, you know. When you, as you dig deeper and deeper, it's like, oh, this is a massive money maker, massive money maker for the state private prisons and being able to lock people up and just focus on the brown people. Sorry. It is. It is. It is pretty crazy. Um, in, in, in regards with that, what, what do you have to say about this Rico? What do you think? I think that, um, I don't know. Man. You don't Free know all the prisoners. Free all the fucking prisoners. Free, Free all the prisoners. Free, Free all the prisoners. It, it, I think- as long as we're able to make like legal money on the outside, all of these cases, if they're nonviolent at the very fucking least, they should be 
released. I don't give a fuck when everybody's like, oh, you can't do this. You can't. What are we going to do? What about the infrastructure? What about the fucking communities you've demolished? What about the families you've separated like over over the years? Generations of wealth have been lost because uh, people have been thrown in jail and some for just having a joint in their pocket. And a lot of people were not having shit, but they were associated with it. My homeboys back in Virginia, if their car smokes. It smells like smoke. Nothing found whatsoever. They get locked up. Do years. So and, I say uh, release all these. A lot, of, a lot of times it was three strikes, too. Three strikes, and they yeah. get, could find a blunt on them, and that would end up being their third strike, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Straight yeah. up. It's, yeah. It's, 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 that's, yeah, that's what I think. And I'm like, uh, fuck Biden. <laughs> fuck all right, Biden. All right, we're going we're gonna to keep Straight working on, on, that, on that. We're going to keep it moving. We're going to keep it when we got to pay a bill. Flying into LAX and you want to taste some of the best weed in the world? Then stop by LAXCC, the closest dispensary to LAX. Located at 8332 Lincoln Boulevard and open from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. seven days a week. Always make LAXCC your first stop when you touch down in L.A. and score like a winner. And don't forget to tell them I sent you and mention like to get high at 9 for 10% off your full order. The thoughts and opinions and general overall shade on the high and nine news are those of the individual speakers and not those of the of any other speaker or its followers. The statements made do not constitute legal or accounting advice and our speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area or territory of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship and our sponsors do not imply or constitute any endorsement by us or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of any speaker on stage. If you're an easily offended person, the show is probably not for you. And you probably shouldn't have voted for Biden. I love Joe Biden. (laughs) (laughs) I run the commercial. We have the CMO of Event High, the industry-leading cannabis-focused event ticketing and promotion platform that changed the game for good when Eventbrite didn't want none of that smoke. She's also the co-host and founder of the revolutionary professional women in cannabis networking series, Blunt Brunch. And today, she's joining us back on for 2023. Coming up to the stage, it is Adelia Carrillo. Hi, everyone. And I'm excited. Event High is getting out of public beta. We're going to be launching our V1 very soon. So things are happening. Yeah, congrats. (laughs) Um, So today's article, Unsealing Georgia Cannabis Applications Wade. This is by the, this is in the Valdo Stata Daily Times. Uh, A Fulton County judge plans to make a decision soon on whether to side with the Georgia First Amendment Foundation in its request to unseal documents related to applications for medical cannabis licenses. The license process has been in limbo since 2019 when state lawmakers authorized the legal growing and dispensing of medical marijuana in Georgia through, um, through the HOPE Act. The Hope Act, sorry. The legislation created the Georgia Access to Medical Cannabis Commission, which was authorized to issue licenses to six companies for the growing, manufacturing, and dispensing of low THC oil in Georgia. So the six companies included were uh, Botanical Sciences LLC, True Leave Georgia Inc. Uh, those two were chosen for the Class One production licenses, while the FFDA Georgia Holdings. Thera True Georgia LLC, Nature's Georgia LLC, and Trivana Remedy Inc. were chosen for Class II production licenses. An estimated 70 companies applied, and the commission issued tentative licenses to those six companies. The tight limit resulted in lawsuits uh, from applicants that weren't approved. They actually alleged that the commission's decision-making process was very unfair and inconsistent in the scoring process. Now, South Georgia's Botanical Sciences and Florida-based TrueLeave um, were issued those licenses late in September. However, they are expected to be delayed amidst this lawsuit. Now, earlier this year, lawmakers attempted to expand the number of licenses, but that effort failed um, failed to clear the General Assembly uh, before the end of the legislative session back in April. 
Um, there was a motion to uh, to file to unseal these records in Fulton County Superior Court so the public could have access to the scoring process of applicants. Um, however, Administrative Law Judge Stephanie Howells in June uh, in June ordered that pursuit. Uh, pursuant to Georgia Code Section 16-12-2220, these matters have been designated as confidential. Accordingly, any documents submitted or filed, any transcripts, any recordings are going to not be subject to Georgia Open Records Act, and they will not be publicly disclosed. Um, with this, she has also ordered that all cases referred to the Office of State Administrative Hearings by the Commission to be closed to the public and to all non-parties. Um, they spoke with Matt Parrish of Theratrue, Georgia, which was, um, again, which was issued one of those licenses. And he added that he wants them to uh, include all working papers, recorded information, documents, and copies produced by and obtained and produced by, they repeated this, and obtained by or disclosed to the commission shall be confidential data and shall not be subject to the Georgia Open Records Act. So more than 25,000 patients are actually on the state's registry to receive medical cannabis. And GFAF said the significant public interest in the licensing process should be considered before sealing any records. Um, it does end with Fulton County Judge uh, Rachel Kraus at the January 6th virtual hearing said she actually planned to have a decision within a week regarding uh, GFAF's request to amend Hal's order and unseal the documents. So this is Adelia reporting for the High at Nine News Hour. Uh, do you think we are going to start seeing this happen more and more in other states, or and do you think they um, they should unseal these records? I'd love to hear from you. I'm all for unsealing the records. I I think uh, I think we need Matt to Matt Tabibi to get in here and release it like a Twitter file. Taibi. Yeah. Uh, yeah we have these same problems in California. Uh, we've had to fight to keep our security records um, secret because our Freedom of Information Act uh, mandates that this be be given out to the public and we're fighting that. But, you know, every place where you have um, information that's sensitive like this, someone's going to want to keep it secret. And I'm a First Amendment guy. Unless there's some compelling reason to keep a secret, let's know who the players are and where the money's coming from and who they're backdooring into these businesses. Because I've mm -hmm. seen every type of sketchy shit you can imagine we have pretty tight rules here so you know i like to know who's doing this who we're involved in so we don't have somebody in the background pulling strings with the money and operating these things that's not allowed i know felons doing this off the books and it's you know mm -hmm. i mean i'm a felon myself so I, that's not a pejorative in itself but some of these guys just they're doing this because they're intended to defraud people sunshine we, I, we I, do I, have doctors really recommend anybody just go and look at declassified documents there's so much you, you, can, you can hate trump all you want but he de declassified so much shit and um look at declassified documents and take a step a half second step back away from the 24-hour news cycle and see how much shit has gone down that our government has kept quiet over the years there's so much available for everybody to see but we're so hung up on oh this motherfucker did this today he did that yesterday and we forget about everything that happened five years ago that you were pissed off at and it's all coming to light. Like, mm -hmm. let the sun. Oh, shine we do. On we more. do have. We we do have Dr. Felicia from the audience, and she is in the great state in of Georgia. Georgia. Dr. Yeah. Felicia, do you have a, any thoughts on this? I'm all for opening up the records. Um, and I, you know, the way they set up the law regarding medical cannabis, they wrote it into the law to keep the application process um, opaque. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm not I'm not surprised. And I know for a fact that two of the winners of this application process certainly made contributions to um, Kim. Uh, so I you know, it's a big pay to play kind of situation. And it's unfortunate for the people of Georgia that we've been waiting for seven years to get medicine. And because people want to be crooked and, and, and be backdoor dealing that you know, people still don't have the medicine. So I'm, I'm quite disgusted with the whole process. Amen. Very, very, Amen. very fair. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Felicia. She, Dr. Felicia just said it best. And the only thing I want to just add to that is, you know, information is the only truly valuable resource that we have. You know, of course, it's going to be kept by a very few number of people so that they can profit first and they can get what's good for them. Um, and so unseal everything is, is my stance. 
What about the people that say no seal, no deal? I mean, you know, you got to take it on a case by case. Okay. <laughs> Check for a wire. Yeah. There you go. Dale knows. We got it. We got it. We got to keep it moving. Coming up next, this 35 year old practicing attorney with 23 years in California cannabis space. Dale is a former member of the club feds, serving over 52 months for cultivation and intent to distribute to a handful of terminally ill patients he's also now the co-owner of california medicals research center and is now a founding partner of the armada law corporation coming up and giving you the real is none other than the dale schaefer good morning morning my story comes out of lexology headline is the ftc proposes rule to ban non-compete clauses with very limited exceptions uh, on January 5th, the Federal Trade Commission voted to publish uh, a proposed rule that basically wipes out non-compete clauses in employment agreements. And what they've done is defined employees very broadly. Anybody that works, a natural person that works for somebody is basically employee covered by this. And they've defined the terms of a uh, prohibited non-compete as uh, if it has the effect of prohibiting a worker from seeking or accepting employment with a person or operating a business after the conclusion uh, of the worker's employment with the employer. So I've done tons of these. California does not allow non-compete, but we do a lot of aggressive non-disclosure and confidentiality agreements. So that if you work for a company and you learn all the gear, how the gears all work, you can't disclose confidential information. It's, it involves trade secrets. Um, but California's on the forefront. And if you're a business person, you think guys have their head up their ass. They're just publishing too many rules and regulations. But that's the potato potato perspective on this. The Federal Trade Commission is a federal agency. There are what we call enabling statutes passed, which allows them to publish these sorts of rules. And if you've ever been part of a a rule promulgation process, they publish it, you get some period of time to comment on it. And then if everything seems to be appropriate, then you get a time to implement it. So that's what's coming here. And because of this is so broad sweeping across the country, uh, anybody who represents employers, as I do, needs to be paying attention to this because I've written a shitload of these things. Um, and I've always warned my clients in California, these are not enforceable. Now you're going to have to proactively go out and look into your past and present employment contracts. If you have them, you have to get rid of the current ones. And anybody who's a former employee, you've got to notify them. So there's things coming here that are going to cause businesses to shit themselves about having to apply with this stuff. Because within the cannabis space, especially, you can't get patents. It's just almost impossible to pick up patents. But there's a lot of trade secrets. Now, the recipe for Coca-Cola is a trade secret. Everybody knows what the hell it is, but it's the trademark to go with it. There's problems with trademarks in the cannabis space also. So trade secrets are where this tends to be the battles. And what we're going to see as this goes forward, there's going to be comment coming. And we'll see how much money gets paid to go backdoor policymakers here to try and limit this from the business standpoint, because this is going to have a major effect. And I honestly don't know how this is going to be rolled out because we can't even, you know, unless you go to court, how do you enforce these now? Is this agency now going to have a new enforcement branch to go out and look at your employment contracts and preemptively intervene in these situations? That's my story for today. This will, this will be rolling out. Uh, and back to you guys. What do you all think? Non-competes I mean, don't even aren't valid in California, right? Anyways. They're not. They're not. Yeah. I mean, and people it is, this still is a want them, though, Rico. Yeah. I just have to tell them, I'll write it there, but I'm telling you, it's not enforceable. And if somebody comes after me for malpractice, I wrote here and you signed it, motherfucker. I told you not to do this. That's yeah. what I have to do yeah. in California. Yes. yes. I learned my lesson on signing shit without sending it to the lawyer first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I didn't say I was a good lawyer, but that's what I do to cover my ass. Right. I mean, uh, and Dale, this is a proposed ban. This, this hasn't actually started yet. What are the next steps for it to actually be a certified ban? Well, it'll go into it'll go into the um, to be published. The um, Federal Register will publish it, and then I think you have sixty days in the Fed to offer your comments. Okay, 
And then once that's up, it goes back in-house. They make sure there aren't any other conflicts with other administrative laws. And then it goes on the books as a, as a rule. Okay. And I don't see that happening before the end of spring, maybe early summer. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to watch the pushback these agencies get from, from especially the business community. Yeah, it's, it's going to be super, super interesting. And I, I, when I saw you, when I saw you post the story, I was very excited. I was like, oh, this is going to be a humdinger right here. Like people are going to freak out because of this right here. Well, I hope that the government moves ahead with this ban. Almost every job I have had in my life has involved a non-compete clause. Um, and it has made life extremely difficult in moving on to the next position. I, even my first job in cannabis had a non-compete. Uh, which I did have to fight to move on to my next role. Uh, so they are ridiculous and bullshit. And I, I really hope that the this is something that they take care of. Yeah, I mean, I'm, well, we, you're going to keep us updated on the on the progress of this story, right, Dale? Oh, absolutely. This, this is one of many that mm-hmm. we're going to see. The dormant commerce clause will come back again for RICO and fighting social justice to the dormant commerce clause. There's a bunch of themes that are coming uh, from me, and we'll we'll pick this back up and watch it because I do primarily business uh, representation in the cannabis space. So from the business perspective, you know this this is going to cost them a lot of money. But my grandpa was a teamster, so in my heart, I'm a union kind of guy. Look, it's like <laughs> God damn it, yeah. stop fucking with people who want to go get a job and calling it. Oh, it's my trade secret. No, I learned how to mm-hmm. deal with the fucking idiot who was my manager, and I want to go someplace <laughs> else where I can make the business run, and I have to deal with that fucking idiot who was my manager. And that's not a non-compete situation. It should be just gone away. I mean, a lot of these trade secrets are as much of a trade secret as like uh, double knotting your shoelaces is a trade They're secret. Nice shoes for your are. shoes to not come untied. It's like I say, if you're trading shit. secrets, it ain't a secret at all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, we got to keep it moving here, everybody. Up next, this feminized Lone Star state advocate and storyteller is the co-founder of Grow House Media, pumping out some of the most entertaining industry-specific content anybody's seen coming from a non-legal state, period. She can be found weekly on her podcast by the same damn name, Feminized, where she interviews some of the dopest women in the game and is all about gifting, giving, and living life to its fullest. Up next... She is the windowsill booth botanist herself, Liz Grow. Oh, God, that was gold, Rico, just gold. Just wait till you get high on the supply of um, booth window weed from Texas. We're not here to talk about Texas today, guys. I have a very happy story to share with you all. It's legal weed, start sa- legal weed sales start in Connecticut at seven medical dispensary establishments. Connecticut's first round of retail cannabis sales for adults 21 and over began Tuesday at seven existing medical marijuana establishments across the state, less than two years after Governor Ned Lamont signed legislation making Connecticut the latest state to legalize recreational sales. As many as 40 dispensaries, along with dozens of other cannabis-related businesses, are expected to eventually open in Connecticut by the end of 2023. So today is historic. But the real story is about the benefits that come with the transformation of lives and communities, said Adam Wood, the president of the Connecticut Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. In a statement, he estimates the new industry will create more than 10,000 jobs over the next couple of years and generate hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue that will help benefit communities most impacted by the war on drugs. We're going to have to put a pin in that because we, we need to check back because there's a lot of talk about that. Anyway, moving on. Lamont, a Democrat, said Tuesday that one of the goals of legislation that legalized recreational marijuana was to create a regulated, safer product for consumers. Another part of the law allows convictions for low-level marijuana crimes to be erased, many automatically. Y'all, nearly 44,000 such convictions have been erased since the start of the new year. Wow. Can I just get a... Clap for that. Recreational sales were allowed to begin at 10 a.m. on to 10 a.m. on Tuesday. Five state-approved shops who were expected to open their doors to the general public on the first day. In Monteville, local state lawmakers and the mayor turned out for a ribbon-cutting ceremony at the botanist. Lynn Goldstein, 60, of Norwich, Connecticut, was the first customer in line of Montville. 
She said she's suffered with chronic pain since 2011 and has been a medical marijuana customer ever since, as soon as she could. She said she was glad that recreational sales are now legal but has some concerns. I do worry about the young people because they don't know how to handle it and they'll be driving stoned and it's going to be very hard for police to figure out what's what, she said. So Kate Nelson, Senior Vice President of The Botanist, said that about 200 to 300 medical marijuana purchases were made on average at the Montville location. She's predicting, predicting there will be 150% uptick in sales during the first week of recreational business. Now, y'all don't get too excited. Initial sales in Connecticut will be limited to one quarter of an ounce, so seven grams of cannabis flour or equivalent in an effort to ensure that there will be enough support for the medical marijuana patients. Um, guys, I'm just so thrilled to bring you this story from deep in the heart of Texas because you know we are jonesing for some bud here in Texas, okay? And I'm always excited to see states just adopt more robust cannabis programs, um, especially, you know, uh, adult use. So this is Liz Grow reporting for High at Nine, and I want to hear from y'all. You excited about Connecticut or what? I mean, I think they're going to do extremely well, all right? Connecticut is a very affluent state. They have a lot of money in that small, tiny little state of theirs. Did they open a lot up of the, colleges? Uh, the yeah. cultivation op uh, opportunity? Um, yeah. I mean, he estimates it's going to open up about 10,000 jobs. It's like, but that's now, pretty incredible. Because I know like, I'm, I'm, uh, previously they had like, I, was it like four? I think it was like four state um, um, approved cultivators. And last year, Two of them went down with, um, uh, with with huge mold infestations. So you have fifty percent of the entire uh, output just Oof. shut down. Yikes! Speaking of that, I heard like 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 Florida is setting up to be. Spe speaking of that, I heard I heard all the the product in New York is getting recalled right now. For, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that that's neither here nor there. Um, but but being a trap I, shop. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like uh, all, all of this all this product they're only allowing people. Uh, uh, customers to purchase up to a quarter ounce is that a day liz or is it just per visit um that's a really good question i'm i'm not going to answer it because i don't think that the article said exactly um, it's probably per visit you know they haven't gotten i this smell a loop together. i smell a looping <laughs> looping looping claws coming on in case yeah. Yeah. Be i see a bus tour let's go get dispensaries everybody walks in with a quarter ounce and go up the block and get more yeah, and meet so your fun. homies around the corner. Come on, man, mm -hmm. this is great. And they're saying they're saying a quarter ounce because they have a shortage of cannabis in Connecticut. You're telling me? It, it, it sounds yeah, it sounds like they have that. Um, they only have a, a couple of approved cultivators, so they only have a couple of sources for that shit. So it sounds oh, hold like on. a bunch of people are going to be crossing over to Massachusetts. We have we, they have we have Lisa for five years. We have Lisa joining us from Clubhouse, and she is a registered nurse in the state of Connecticut. What do you have for us, Lisa? Hi, everybody. Registered nurse, cannabis nurse, and cannabis patient here in Connecticut. Nice. Uh, it's a shit show. It's it's almost laughable. Um, <laughs> Keep it a buck. We have, we have four growers in the state. They're all MSOs. We have the dispensaries that opened yesterday, seven out of... Did we lose you? Lisa, you with She's us? She's got Rico's computer. Lisa. Hey, Lisa, we lost you, Lisa. There we go. Down the smoking your Sativarian XR two seventy seven, and we sold such shit. We delayed opening for like a year, so that we would ensure the medical patients had their supply. And yet, for two weeks before we opened, they were saying, "Get your supply, get your supply." There's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough. And apparently, doesn't matter because nobody bought this shit that we sell here anyway. So, <laughs> long live the trap. <laughs> long live the trap from the never die. Lisa, are people still going over to get the most of their stuff from Massachusetts, or are they getting it from other other places now? We're we're big fans of Maine. We are big Maine? fans. Yeah. Of Maine. Yes. Shout out to Maine. Yeah. Maine caregivers. <laughs> the main caregivers know what's up. Word and out, the Connecticut yeah. traps that are winning are just going to Maine, buying, coming back, and delivering it to Connecticut residents. That's wow. That's the game now. Welcome I to cannabis. It. I love right. it. New England. <laughs> I love it. Congrats I love it. on the legalization. Yeah. yeah. 
congratulations. Thank you, Lisa, for coming up. But we got to keep this moving. Coming up next, he's a cannabis wizard doing his damnedest to continue the work of the merry pranksters and the brotherhood of eternal love. Alongside this Hogwarts PhD in tripping balls, he's also the co-host of What's Good, the Cannabis Flower and Hash Review Show, as well as host of Radio Free Earth podcast, boasting over 33 years in the game for genetics cultivation. He is none other than the immortal. Transylvanian count himself, Matthew St. Germain. Thanks, Brother Jason, and everybody else. Uh, happy Wednesday. Uh, my story is in line uh, with the same thematically with uh, Rico and Gretchen's. It comes direct from High Times, and it's a study reveals that California law enforcement is more likely to arrest black teens. The sixth annual report published on January 1st by the Racial and Identif Identity Profiling Advisory Board made many observations about California's law enforcement officers. Over the past four years, the data collected under the Racial and Identity Profiling Act has provided empirical evidence showing disparities in policing throughout California. This year's data demonstrates the same trend in disparities for all aspects of law enforcement stops from the reason for stop to actions taken dur during the stop to the results of the stop. The report spans uh, data that occurred between January 1st, 2021 to December 31st, 2021, and analyzes information from 58 law enforcement agencies and the negative impacts of citizen interactions with police with a focus on youth. In the 2021 timeframe, more than 3.1 million stops were reported, and this is just in California, folks. In the terms of perceived race, race or ethnicity, police agencies states that 42% were Hispanic Latin, 30% white, 15% black, 5.3% Asian, 4.8% Middle Eastern, point. Uh, one percent multiracial and the rest were uh, uh, aggregated reasons for a law enforcement stop include either a traffic violation at 86 percent or reasonable suspicion of being engaged in criminal activity come on what's that 10.5 percent black individuals had the highest percentage of stops in regard to reasonable suspicion at 16.2 percent but also the lowest proportion of stops for traffic violations at 80.5 percent so come on car insurance companies the RIPA board found that black and Hispanic individuals are more likely to have force used against them compared to white individuals. Black teens between the ages of 10 to 14 and 15 to 17 experienced the highest rate of being searched by the police at 20 percent, detained at 18 percent and handcuffed at 15.4 percent, as well as being removed from a vehicle by order at 7.6 percent. Black adolescents were detained curbside or in a patrol car 36 to 44 percent of the time, searched over 40 percent of the time handcuffed over 30% of the time. Ultimately, this data shows that teens who are perceived to be black were searched six times the rate of white adolescents, and those perceived to be Hispanic were searched four or more times. The interactions that teens have with law enforcement, including re repeat interactions, impact those individuals' mental health. Research shows that the types of contact and frequency of involuntary contacts with law enforcement may have a harmful impact on the individual's stop, triggering stress responses, depressive symptoms, anxiety, and other related negative mental health impacts. This research suggests that racial and identity profiling goes beyond the criminal legal system and policing and is also a critical public health issue. Based on the research, the board believes that the public health officials and policymakers should treat racial and identity profiling and adverse policing as significant public health issues. It is imperative to recognize that police interactions can negatively affect the mental and physical health of individuals who are black, Hispanic, indigenous, and other peoples of color. Doing so could help significantly reduce the high stress, community fragmentation, and poor health outcomes among community members who, experiencing, who experience targeting of their neighborhoods and aggressive policing practices. Given, the adequate resource, given this, adequate resources should be uh, invested to understand and address the health implications of racial and identity profiling. And this goes you know, back to the history of our country, uh, as well as the foundation of Western European principles on Christian institutionalized white supremacy. COINTELPRO and the program by the FBI, as well as the CIA, to target uh, black Americans and keep them from having self-efficacy and self-agency and their own generational wealth. And I think that this is uh, right for all of us to discuss. And thank you very much. Cops going to cop. What's that? We Rico? have the aggressive. I, I would like to see a cop exchange, you know, like, like send these aggressive ass cops from the hood. Send them over to the white neighborhoods and send the nice ones over to the black. Neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> cop exchange. Let's do that. Like yeah. cop swap. How do you cop determine swap. the nice ones? Tell us who the nice ones are. What's that criteria? 
I think okay, another thing buddy. that's important oh, is that speeding. I catch you speeding over here one more time. I'm going right. to give you more than a warning. Okay, Bob. All right. I, yeah. I think another thing that we've lost is community policing, and the police officers should live in the communities that they police. You a million know, percent. You live, you live in the community police. You grow up. All of a sudden, instead of seeing these people as some, you know, as being some occupying force for some, you know, uh, alien alien uh, tribe of people, you're actually with yep. them, and you're growing up with them, and you know the moms and the aunties and the uncles, and you know the kids coming up. And you understand you, you get as as as, uh, as a law enforcement officer at that point, I would think that then you would get a perspective as how to really help these people improve their lives. And you could be of service. Yeah, I think I don't I don't think that's going to solve anything in L.A., though, because the sheriff's right. department sheriff's department um, um, runs by the Constitution and they can do what the fuck they want to do. And right. they are a certified white supremacist gang now. And um, we, um, right. last year, uh, yeah, last year. A year and a half ago when I moved to South Central, uh, actually saw these motherfuckers on horse on horses looking like a bunch of slave catchers Jesus. out here in South Central riding through the fucking streets with fucking uh, with AKs <laughs> and fucking cowboy hats riding through the streets. L.A. Sheriff Department all the way out here perusing the black neighborhoods, just intimidating folks. That's what the, that's the kind of shit you got to deal with. We got to stop these uh, um, uh, the, the, the sheriff's departments from answering to nobody they answer to god rico we got um we have dr felicia up. i think dr felicia has a comment on this are you with us dr felicia yeah i apologize for the background noise uh, i'd like to point out that this is happening in california the state with the longest history of legal medical cannabis and this is why we say reparations are needed everybody don't want to have a, a business or a cannabis business that's why people who are being swept up in this racial profiling should be getting cash awards. That's what I, that's what I think. And I just, I, I took care of a, a vet the other day who's a police now. And he said the same thing that St. Germain just said. People who police in the community should have grown up in that community. Start recruiting out of the community and have those people be in the community instead of putting other people who are afraid of their shadow and shooting people at the slightest uh, excuse. Yes, indeed. Very I, I, I totally agree with, with with those statements in regards to the, the the neighborhood policing and the fact that cops should live in the neighborhoods uh, that they that they do police. I just think it it creates a a much better community environment. It in, makes people uh, engage with people as people as opposed to um, just just a, a subject or just a random interaction because these are the people that you're going to be around in a, on a constant basis. Period. How do you get that accomplished though? Because I've represented cops. I've been inside cop politics. I've seen how they react when one of their brothers gets killed going into an enforcement action. And their mind. butts pucker up. They circle their wagons. And trying to get into that and convince them that, oh, we need to do mental health to places where they're sent. And they're encouraged to be afraid when they go in there. It, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's a bad system. It, and trying to get more people in there that understand the community is a wonderful thing. But the policymakers and law enforcement like the old ways. And the old ways were very racially discriminatory. Yep. California had Jim Crow the whole time I was growing up. It just didn't call it that. Yep, yep. You go to L.A. County and you're black down there. You got a hell of a different problem than I had when I was rolling around down there. Yes, and let, let's not forget to educate ourselves on the history of the police and the sheriff. The police were in were uh, created in America as a force to control runaway slaves and freed black persons. The sheriffs were created in Europe to protect the king's property, i.e., livestock, water rights, and land rights from the serfs and peasants who they stole those uh, those those resources from at the point of a sword. And we watched the uh, one of the things we've been talking about is the English royal family. We've watched those the English royal family perpetrate that same crime on the entire world for the last you know six hundred years plus yeah but it's adolescent and young males that all these laws are targeted at and i agree we Dale. deal with, we gotta, we gotta, with we gotta, young we men who have more, more testosterone more testosterone and less brain matter they're fucking violent they steal they got problems we don't have an answer for them other than sick the cops on it just doesn't work Right. Mental mental health support, support for for families that are uh, poor and indigent, support for single mothers and finding healthy outlets for everybody, because really every human starts out as a baby full of potential and every person wants to be good and contribute. And most people are shunted off into criminality and, and malignant forms of antisocial behavior because of lack of opportunities in childhood trauma, sexual, drug based or violence based. 
When you want to grow some of the best weed in the world, then you must start with the best genetics in the so world. Go to www.dnagenetics.shop to order regular feminized or autoflower beans. All of your favorite DNA genetics cultivars such as Kosher Kush, Skywalker Kush, and oh yeah, Chocolate Truffle Shuffle. Boasting more cannabis awards for their award-winning genetics than any other company in the world. Remember to go to www.dnagenetics.shop to see why our terps don't lie. Thank you all out there for tuning in with us for yet another episode of High Night News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our live audience members and online supporters tuning in, giving us feedback on the daily news headlines of chaos, also known as the developing cannabis industry. Our vetted industry correspondent team tuning in from all over the global community, bringing us the much needed variety of perspective and adding your respected opinions to the conversation. To our production team, thank you, Cloud Media Partners. Thank you, House of Fuego and the wonderful Zsa Simone out there holding things down for us on Club house keeping our av struggles to an absolute minimum and to our haters y'all never cease to amaze me the vitriolic waste that you spew daily in the in the comment sections and also subliminally on your own social media pages is the most invigorating source of life energy since uh, known to modern man since the discovery of adrenochrome <laughs> please keep doing what y'all do so we never need to visit the bohemian grove if you know you know and finally cannabis sativa l the reason hyatt nine news team shows up and read these headlines every single day we shall forever be in debt to your great beauty and and wonderfulness thank you thank you thank you thank you and it's Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. Show's over. You've been blessed with today's top industry headlines. We hope there was enough to put in your pipe and smoke it at least until tomorrow. Y'all know who it is. Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street, signing off. And remember, when life gives you no place else to turn, you can always turn the fuck up. Run that motherfucker, Adam.